Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at sumatisparks.com. And today I'm really excited to have as my guest, Sierra Wagner. Sierra has taught yoga and meditation workshops and classes for over 20 years. She currently has a private yoga therapy practice called Sierra Laurel Yoga, where she focuses on serving older adults and other underserved populations. Sierra is also a writer and an advocate for equal rights, the sex positivity movement, and environmental and social justice. Welcome to the show, Sierra. Thank you. Good good to be here. Glad to have you here. So I want to start out by just asking you, how did you get into, you're not a very old person, so you must have become, <laughs> started getting into yoga and meditation at a very early age. So can you tell us a little bit about that story and how you got so deeply into those um, practices? Thanks. Yeah. Well, you're right. I was only 13 when I took my first yoga class. Um, thanks to some family friends who encouraged me and I just fell in love with it and have been doing it ever since. So 22 years later, I'm a certified yoga therapist, which means that I'm specifically trained to help special populations and people with more specific needs or chronic conditions who need extra um, um, props or special specialized practices that can really help them. So that's what I do here in the San Francisco Bay and have been doing it not quite 20 years, but on and off for about 18. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah. And then so, you also are a meditation teacher, or you have been. Yeah. I, I think meditation is part of yoga, and I teach mm-hmm. it during every class, just mostly mindfulness. And um, and consciousness philosophy. Um, I've been an, a meditator myself and studied for many years, and really love that aspect of it too. Since the mind and the body are so deeply connected, um, mm-hmm. and we we need to focus on our relationship to our thoughts and feelings. Yes, it seems now more than ever we we need that deep inner focus in this world that we live in. So let's thread that in with um, some of you. Well, let, let's stay with your personal story. Um, I, I want to mm-hmm. hear a little bit more about that before we go into your social justice work and sex positivity work. Um, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got exposed to um, to these spiritual practices at such a young age yeah well I was born and raised in an intentional community that teaches about um, being more personally aware and responsible for your life (laughs) and actually it's really quite sex positive and so I was raised in a supportive environment and there's even some classes that are taught within that community taught to the public about 
um, sensuality and sexuality and communication and relationships. So I was just given a lot of support to explore those areas of my own life in a safe way and sensible way. And that helped me to become an advocate for the sex positivity movement. Um, since I saw so many of the benefits of being raised that way and um, how that really has affected my personal life. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So um, can you define the term sex positivity for those that may not have heard it before or really understand exactly what it means? For sure. So it's the idea that all sex is a positive thing as long as it advantageous to the people involved and affected by it and is explicitly consensual. So Mm -hmm. it's saying that sexual expression is that is non-harming. And in yoga terms, that's called ahimsa. And it's a very foundational idea. This non-harming is that that sexual expression is good for us. It's good for people's well-being and that that societal or, or personal repression or control of an individual's sex drive is bad and unhealthy. So um, that would be called sex negative if it was um, more of the control or repression or shaming side of how, um, and sex positivity is the belief that it's it good. These, these terms were um, coined by Willem Reich um, and mm-hmm. he just, thought that, you know, some societies view sexual expression as essentially good and healthy and others really have a more negative overview of it and seek to control and repress it. Um, And, you know, we come from one of those cultures, the Western Christian culture, the the tradition is more on the sex negative side. And so is Hindu culture, which a lot of people don't really think about is Orthodox Hinduism is also considers sex as some kind of destructive or sinful thing. And the only redeeming value it has is um, um, reproductivity, right? Procreation. Thank you. So Mm -hmm. um, you might've noticed that our society ranks sexual acts hierarchically, which means that like marital heterosexual sex is at the top of this, like mm-hmm. what's okay, what's good. And then masturbation, homosexuality, and other sexual acts that somehow deviate from society's expectations are closer to the bottom. And we also have medicine and psychiatry that's contributed to sex negativity because um, from time to time they can designate some forms of sexuality that as some kind of moral, you know, morally wrong or um, different sex acts such as um, homosexuality or BDSM or things like that um, as pathological. But the sex positivity movement doesn't really make a moral distinction between these various sex acts or Um, people's orientation it really just says hey polyamory asexuality transsexuality transgenderism all that is all good Um, and it's really a matter of personal preference so 
that movement advocates for more comprehensive and accurate sex education that recognizes and supports all the variety of sexual expression and, and, and validates it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we've seen all of the things that happen when sexuality gets repressed, like in the Catholic Church and um, in Congress and all kinds of places. <laughs> but that's for another time. Um, so as far as your story, Sierra, um, so you were raised in this really sex-positive, intentional community that offered classes and relationship and sensuality and communication and so forth. So you're a great example of somebody that's come out of that sex positivity that you probably didn't have as much programming as a lot of us did as kids. So how does that feel to be an adult having not having as much baggage as the most of us have? And how has <laughs> culture influenced you, even though you came from that community, I'm sure the greater culture has also affected you. So it'd be interesting to hear how you've navigated that. Yeah. Well, you're totally right. The overarching culture, I still lived in America, you know, and I still went to public schools. And so I still got all the programming. It was just less than if my home life had also reinforced that. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't know how, you know, how can I say I somehow it's better. I just think that I know that it has led me to a place where I feel like I can support others to, um, to learn about their own ideas around sex. And it's not such a taboo to me. I think that's Mm -hmm. one of the things that really has been different is it wasn't, um, it wasn't shamed in a way that made it taboo or made it stigmatized. And so I don't have a, a lot of that come up for me. Um, mm-hmm. And that helps me to really bring that forward in my work and create a safe place. Like all the healers and all the yoga teachers and all the people um, that um, are trusted with people's bodies and their health and their um, emotions. And, and we are here to create a safe place for people. And that's mm-hmm. our responsibility. And I, and I think I'm able to hold more space since I'm maybe less caught up in my own worries about whether my life is right. And I'm, you know, whether I'm okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and, and I can imagine been, Oh, well, you were mentioning the courses. I think you said something about that. And so, yeah, I was educated. I was educated by my my friends and family who live in the community um, in a formal way. I took classes that helped me also to understand my anatomy better, to look at my prejudices and biases. And that's helped me feel like I'm a stronger educator in those areas. So I've also learned about um, trauma from most from also my yoga therapy training um, but from Morehouse because that's discussed as like underlying um, causes of dysfunction or you know not that it's necessarily dysfunction but but um, 
limitations that people feel mm-hmm. they have in their sex life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, you know, I had I had a friend whose mother was in like the early swinger community in LA, and she wrote a book called First Five Hundred, <laughs> and. He rebelled in the opposite direction and was like the most monogamous person on earth. And, you know, if you accidentally got something in your eye, he'd accuse you of winking at him. I mean, he was so reactive. So a lot of times people go in the opposite direction of their parents. But do you think it's because your community kind of had it dialed in that you didn't rebel and go the other way, that you kind of took their education and then brought it to the next level? Yeah, well, the education wasn't forced on me. It was elective, Mm -hmm. and um, Mm -hmm. that helps. And it's not to say, like, there's many people who grew up in that community, and and we've gone in lots of different ways, and a lot of people have done a much more traditional lifestyle than me. They have a 9-to-5 job. They have kids. They own a home. They're monogamous. They they haven't embraced some of the opportunities that I did. Mm. Um, Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, people can, I don't, I think it's just, everybody's different and I was given opportunities and I decided to take them um, and other people weren't as interested in those subjects. Well, that's really healthy to hear that it wasn't, um, you know, there was, it wasn't dogmatic or cult-like, that it was really just, offerings that you could pick and choose what appealed to you that sounds really healthy yeah yeah I think it's much you know much more thorough or more or maybe more healthy than the kind of sex education that a lot of people get in school which is really lacking um Mm -hmm. and I I I think part of the message that I want to send is that Educating ourselves and our children when um, when it's appropriate is is a really huge part of being more empowered and ha- mm-hmm. and finding finding places and teachers that you feel you can trust that act um, that act respectfully and with high integrity and so I'm really hoping to that the yoga teachers that I know and that everyone in the yoga community can look at their own biases and prejudices and judgments so that we don't perpetuate any feelings of shame or stigmatization um, and that we, so that we can also be more accepting and empathetic of each other and our bodies and our sexuality. But I I haven't had that experience, you know, that's not been Mm -hmm. my experience in the yoga community in general. Yeah. You know, I definitely want yeah, I want to dig a little deeper into your um, your main points about sex positivity in the yoga community. But um, just to finish up with your personal story, um, you say that you've always been polyamorous. Um, so at what age did you start dating and realize that <laughs> you weren't just going to fall into that monogamy model? And how has that been for you to kind of always be that way and um, have you run into any judgments around that in the larger society? Sure. I think everybody who's practicing alternative relationship styles or is um, in a minority group of any kind is, is face, has faced 
um, social stigmatization. But um, yeah, I think I was always very interested in exploring and I, I did some monogamy mostly because I found somebody who I really wanted to explore with and they're ta- they're, they have got my attention, but mm-hmm. mostly I've had most of, I would say my life, I've had some sort of open relationship and mm-hmm. um, it was interesting as, as a kid re- or a young adult, realizing I, I had to share that because in my community, alternative relationships in Morehouse were the standard. They were mm-hmm. kind of all, all relationships were accepted if they were consensual and advantageous to everyone involved. So I realized once I got into dating people who didn't live there and my, my peers at school and people I met, I had to be more conscious to say I in polyamorous because I think there's assumptions made that you're going to be monogamous um, at least especially when you're younger and haven't dated around a lot I think people just assume monogamy um, mm-hmm. or at least that's what I felt like in my teens and 20s so it took a lot for me to start to understand what I wanted and describe that and talk to my partners about that. But, but my upbringing helped in having some language around that. Um, and the support I received from the open relationship community in the Bay area, it's helped me to learn even more. And I've really appreciated all the relationships that I've had um, with, with friends as well as lovers. So I feel really mm-hmm. blessed. Yeah. You are blessed. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Okay, well let's talk about sex positivity in the yoga community and how did did you get um I don't want to use the term riled up, but um how did you become so passionate <laughs> about this this um this concept and this idea? Well, I've been studying yoga for over 20 years and I just realized wow we in yoga class people the teachers would and the and the students would talk to each other about everything money work family health but sex just wasn't talked about and it was only when I got into pretty advanced trainings that any of the philosophy the yogic philosophy around sexuality was discussed at all and then I noticed it was really only uh, discussed in terms of how to treat the negative aspects, like teaching classes to people with sexual trauma. And there wasn't a lot of um, celebration or positivity in that, uh, in, in sexuality. So that was one thing that I noticed. And then I came into a training that, you had to be an established yoga teacher to take, even take the training, which was to become a yoga therapist. And so, and it was in the East Bay in a very liberal pocket of society. And even then I felt shamed and stigmatized when I would talk about my multiple relationships. Um, And at one point, 
we, I was sitting around a circle at lunch with a few, a few of my cohort, the students in the program, a director of the program, and a, a teacher who was teaching that weekend training. And we were just talking about, hey, how's, how's it going? How was your weekend? What would you do? And um, when it came to me, I said, oh, wow, well, I had a hot date with my boyfriend. Because <laughs> to me, that's something to share and celebrate. And um, I felt a huge wave of discomfort come into the group. And most people simply ignored what I said, didn't engage. But one person said something that was incredibly disturbing, which brahmacharya, brahmacharya, brahmacharya. And most people don't know what that means. Um, but it's a foundational concept in yoga that can mm-hmm. be translated as celibacy. Mm-hmm. So um, I took that to mean uh, I like she didn't she didn't want to hear about it, and she just wa- she wants me to like be um, maybe be celibate or um, at least repress some of that celebration um but brahmacharya actually can be interpreted in many different ways and the meaning is very personal to each individual so though uh, most people and traditionally interpreted as celibacy i also want to just point out that literally translated it means to walk with god and Mm. um so it's about this very intentional use of your sexual energy and it's rooted again in that concept of ahimsa or non-harming so anytime we're using yogic principles in a way that is harming someone else it's not um it's not actually an authentic or right use of it mm-hmm. um so it's just about making mindful choices and um and Integrity, which is about being honest, having strong moral principles, but it, integrity also means about being complete and whole. And I think both of those pieces of the definition can apply here. But in that time when she, when she said this, this woman said this, I just knew I felt really shocked by the reaction and that nobody else said anything, but they just moved on and kind of ignored what mm-hmm. just happened. And that felt mm-hmm. very shaming to me. Mm-hmm. <sighs> so, so I got, I got think, passionate about it. Yeah. So do you think that um, she was trying to be celibate and you talking about a hot date was tempting her, kind of like if someone's on a diet and you eat a hot fudge sundae in front of them? Or was it more of a judgment that no yoga teacher should be having sex? I don't know that it was either. I don't think it was either. She was married with kids, um, and oh. I don't think she expected me to not have any sex. I think she didn't want to hear about it, and she thinks that – and, you know, this is, this is my guess because when I actually asked her some months later after I realized, hey, this had a damaging effect on me, I went ahead and mm-hmm. asked her, what did you mean by this? And she just said, mm-hmm. oh, I was joking. It didn't mean anything. Oh and gave me no apology and oh, I dear. realized she, I you know so I think that she wasn't intending to be harmful or hurtful she just felt so uncomfortable 
with her own sexuality, which is I think what generally happens is we push away things that have us feel uncomfortable. And if you're not feeling comfortable or satisfied or happy about your sex life, then hearing about somebody else's good sex life can be intimidating and threatening. And so she, she made a joke out of it, Mm -hmm. but, but as anybody who's in a minority like LGBT or people of color might know that jokes are one form of bullying and they're actually very, can be very shaming. So a joke just isn't a joke. Um, but, but, but that's all she had to say about it. Yeah. But I, I hear your compassion in there that really it comes from people's discomfort and that the yoga mm-hmm. culture just had not had room for discussion about sexuality. So it felt like it was coming out of left field for, for how the culture was at the time. So, so how do we bring sex positivity into the yoga community when, I mean, I've heard stories of male yoga teachers, you know, sleeping with their students and this is even before the Me Too movement um, where, you know, yoga teachers take advantage of the attraction that comes up for women. And there's been a lot of uh, lack of ethics around that. So it seems like a little bit of an edgy, touchy subject. So how do you make it safe? For, how, how do people feel safe when that also goes on and there is that power imbalance at times? Yeah, well, it's true. Um, and it's, I think any culture that's repressing sexuality is fostering um, a a form of sex that is unhealthy and harming. So Mm -hmm. teachers sleeping with their students or priests sleeping with the altar boys that Mm -hmm. comes from, um, and we just have to reconcile that. The first thing we can do as members of the yoga community is reconcile everything we've been told and taught by um, our society and by the yoga teachers or other teachers we've had in our life. Um, and to realize that even though yoga teaches that we can reach these beautiful, spiritually transcendent places where we no longer feel shame, but just contentment and equanimity, that while these things are important and inspiring teachings, we shouldn't just ignore the fact that people's sexuality has societal, financial, and legal repercussions in our everyday world. Mm -hmm. Um, So if we want to be those change makers in the greater society, we just need to start with ourselves to acknowledge we're part of this culture and we've been enculturated to have sexual shame. So we can ask ourselves about how do I, you know, how do I, react when people talk about sex around me and what about my sexuality do I feel ashamed of and that will also inform the next question which is how do I shame other people mm-hmm. and so making these inquiries is one place to start because we all do it I do it I think it's so um it's it, it, it's unconscious until it's really brought to light and thought about and practiced. Um, another cool thing that people can do is 
if you are part of some sexually stigmatized group, like you're gay, you're polyamorous, uh, you're asexual, whatever it might be, you can consider coming out because that destigmatizes it. And you could come out to your friends and family, but if you're a healer um, of some kind or practice teaching a healing modality, then um, you could come out to your students because that normalizes it. Oh, well, if my teacher or my friend or my family member is this way, then it must not be so weird, right? Because I, I like them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, cool. yeah, so there's, so there's so much I could talk about there. It's um, such a big subject. Um, right. And it's mostly about intention to create a safe, loving, and accepting place for other people to talk about their sexuality, whether it's um, as much as it is appropriate. Because, yeah, you were talking about yoga teachers and how sex isn't always uh, appropriate to have in a yoga classroom, right, or in a yogic (laughs) relationship. It's not like talking about it isn't always the best thing. So talking to your audience is really helpful and knowing that, different people in different communities are more or less responsive. So if somebody's just kind of a beginner or going in for some kind of quick fix, maybe in yoga that could be just wanting a workout, um, you can know that they are, might not be interested enough in their own personal growth to learn about sex positivity, no matter how well you teach it. <laughs> and um, specifically male teachers and students also have to be more considerate of the conversation and how they present themselves because of the history and perception of men as sexual abusers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah. sex- and actually one in 10 men has also been sexually assaulted or, or abused themselves and one in four women. So we've got to be really mm-hmm. skillful in and talking uh, about sex positivity without creating a fertile ground for abuse or misconduct. Um, And sex positivity doesn't mean advocating for promiscuity. I think a lot of people Mm -hmm. get there's a misperception there. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm going to interrupt you just for a second, Sierra. Um, In case people are just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. And we're speaking with Sierra Wagner, a yoga therapist who practices um, through her private practice, Sierra Laurel Yoga. And she is talking about the sex positivity movement in the yoga community. And we're also going to be touching on some other social justice issues. Um, But let me just ask you kind of a mainstreamy, maybe slightly sensational question. Um, do you <laughs> think that a yoga teacher, do you think there's any circumstances under which a yoga teacher could be sexual with their students, or is that a thick line that should never be crossed? I would say most, um, the, the, the overarching um, agreement in the yoga community is that there isn't a time and a place for that unless that student has stopped being your student for like six months or a year and you don't have that relationship because there is a power dynamic in that relationship. Mm-hmm. 
So I've known that teachers have stopped um, working with students so that they can have a period where that power dynamic can get dissolved and then they can go into some sort of relationship, sexual relationship with that person if it's desired at a later date. Um, Mm -hmm. But I also think there's a difference between going to someone's yoga class, like in Western society, it's a lot of people just doing weekly drop-in yoga classes and they're not creating a guru relationship to one teacher and following them and, and really um, putting as much commitment into that relationship as in the past and traditionally Mm -hmm. speaking what's happened. So I think if there's, um, a very casual teacher-student relationship where it's a, a infrequent sort of drop-in to class um, relationship, that gives more room because there's not as much of a power dynamic there. Um, so mm-hmm. that's, that's what I've noticed about what seems in integrity to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like it, it, it's really asking a lot of a teacher who oftentimes well, you know, there's so many women, like the yoga classes I go to are 95% women. <laughs> so if yeah. there's, a, if there's a, you know, a, a straight male teacher and a straight male student, it's so easy to get a crush on the teacher. You know, they're fit, <laughs> they're spiritual, they're in charge, you know, and it's just a perfect setup for that projection and, and that like, oh, they're so awesome. So it, it could be really, really tempting for male teachers to have that kind of flirtation and that energy coming at them. And it seems like it's asking a lot of them to hold that um, and really be in integrity. Does that get taught to them when they go to yoga school? I'm sure it depends on the school they're going to. Yeah. Are they aware uh, no, of that I think possibility? I, yeah. Um, I think it's been standardized because what happens? what's happened is that there's now – standardization to yoga teacher trainings that there weren't 20 or 30 years ago Um, because there was such wild differences in what was being taught. Yoga is a huge, ancient, vast subject, right? And Mm -hmm. so what happened was there was some standardization put in so that things like ethics could be taught. At the same time, those ethics are still coming out of this Western paradigm where because there's a culture of sexual shame, what happens is there's these extremes that are felt in our society where on one hand, it's like rigid, puritanical, don't, don't flirt, don't date, don't have sex, you know, very strict. And on the other side, uh, there's this underbelly of licentiousness, right, of extreme, like, the um, massive sexualization in the commercials and, um, and what Buddhism teaches is that there's a middle path, right? Mm -hmm. That these extremes are not, um, are not the way to enlightenment or contentment that we need to normalize sex and just bring it into its natural place. Um, in the rest of your life. So it's not some, some 
um, thing that gets put in the closet or gets blown up out of proportion, but it's just a part of your life. It's, it's, um, and, and so I think that's something that could be taught more and could be brought to light is this Buddhist teaching um, and recognizing when our society, including the yogic community, is being extreme. Yeah, I'm really glad you said that because I was thinking about some of the festivals I've been to with young people uh, in their 20s who are wearing like these, they're beautiful people and they're wearing these super sexy yoga clothes and there's a lot of young men that are doing yoga in that world and and they're doing the partner yoga and they're rolling around on each other and listening. And there's just so much sexual energy. There's just so much mating behavior going on at that age, you know, and they've and they're playing like electronic music, you know, deep beats during the yoga class. And it's just become this whole other thing. And I'm wondering if they could use somebody like you at these festivals to kind of teach them the middle way, because it seems like it's really gone to quite the extreme in that in that age group. Oh. Interesting. That's good that you noticed that. I think you're right that there's, you know, there's more teaching out there to be done. And it's the responsibility of all of us to figure out how we can participate in that conversation. Like, I notice in most yoga classes that I've ever gone to, and I've gone to many, 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 that there's these body scans you might do at the end at, in the relaxation posture where you'll go through and you'll feel every part of your body and relax every part of your body one little piece at a time. And it's a really beautiful practice. But the genitals are just left out. Like mm-hmm. they don't exist. And mm-hmm. so you could go, oh, relax your belly, relax your thighs relax your your legs but you don't you just skip this one whole part Mm -hmm. of the body that can hold a lot of trauma and tension Mm -hmm. and we know now that trauma is processed and held in the body so reclaiming our sexual empowerment can start with like teachers teaching body scans where we feel actually feel the groin and it could be as simple as saying notice the sensations in your genitals or groin Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be a big conversation but it just puts it in as part of the rest of your your life you know it just includes Mm -hmm. it in a normal human being has has this anatomy and we can teach Mm -hmm. about the pelvic floor and the practices of controlling the energy in the pelvic floor like holding sensation there and and moving energy um in and out of that area so yeah those are all those are all really good things for um people to be people to be thinking about um and teaching if you're a teacher yeah well this is a total digression but no i love that i i also want to say that i did create um Something, what, something you said reminded me of these, these consensual yoga classes um, and workshops that I teach that are meant for groups and partners and triads of people to do postures together. So it's bringing people together in a touch-positive environment that's also consent-based. And I've designed these workshops so that we can have those spaces in a yogic context that doesn't otherwise exist and so we do 
yoga poses, intuitive movement, maybe a little contact improv dance and Thai massage. So um, it's bringing together all these pieces. And that's one thing that helps to foster these more connected and aware environments of how we're using our, our touch and our sexual energy in um, with each other and in, in our, our bodies and our yoga practices. So Beautiful. that's one so thing that, that yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so there was another example um, that we talked about before about um, something that you wrote. Did you want to go into that? Of how you felt oh. shamed by an editor or something? Yeah. Um, thanks for asking. I do want to talk about that because, um, so going back to what sparked this more passionate um, part of my teaching was that experience I had with all these yoga teachers and high-level staff who sh- Uh, shamed or silenced me and about a year after that I realized whoa okay I've done a lot of processing I've educated myself I bet if I take this story and share it other people can feel like benefited and maybe help help them through experiences they're having so what I did is I have for a few years subscribed to a very popular blog with thousands of people who subscribe, and I'm sure um, hundreds of people who read it every day, if not thousands. And I was like, wow, if I could get this message out to this audience, it would make a huge impact. So I went and I told the editor this story, and my experience she just said, wow, I really think that that's not an important enough topic to talk about and that the person was just joking, and I think you're taking this too seriously. Hmm. Um, so I felt really silenced by, by that experience, by that uh, authority figure, and realized, oh, wow, she's probably just not accustomed to the fact that these joking, these, these jokes are a form of bullying and shaming because she's probably heterosexual and possibly, probably statistically monogamous and cisgendered mm-hmm. from what I know of her. So she just hasn't been exposed to these, this, this shaming as much and so isn't aware that there's um, of the nuance of how that can happen. And mm-hmm. so, again, just another person who was, who was unaware or not conscious of all the, of, you know, not only the effect that the first situation had on me, but then her response was also in, incredibly, and it took me another year to start talking about it and want to share it. Um, and so I've just now in the last few months realized that I have people like you, Sumati, who can are interested and want to support um, that cha- cultural shift and realize that I do have allies that will say yes to um, ch- 
sharing this message, and I'm really hugely grateful for that. Mm. Well, what do you think she could have done instead of shaming you? Right. Um, yeah, I, um, she could have tried some empathy. <laughs> um, just saying, wow, that wow, that sounds like it was really hard for you, and obviously this is made, had a negative impact on you because you're ta- you want to talk about it, and and um, she could have been compassionate. She could have, you know, honored me in so many ways. This and and honoring a person is really healing. It's it's um, it's healing of shame to say. I I validate you or I even if she didn't want to publish my article that's okay mm-hmm. but just saying hey, I don't think it's right for my audience it doesn't fit in or whatever reason but I really understand um why you would want to share it and that that your experience was valid mm-hmm. and she could you know also educating herself um would have been an appropriate response so um like for many, many years, the LGBTQ community has been in the public spotlight about how that they are being oppressed and, and really working in social justice movements to get, get human rights, like marriage and equality. But polyamory hasn't had all that. It's just in its infancy. And it's rarely researched by science and talked about in the media. A little bit more nowadays, but but um, still then it's kind of presented as taboo. So one article I found by Nicole Graham, I thought was, you know, it says that in the United States, um, there's more than half a million people who are living um, in polyamorous families, openly polyamorous families after she researched this. She's a social researcher and she put together some data um it's so we get to see it's actually more a part of the american lifestyle than we might you know consider and i really Mm -hmm. love when when the there's research happening and educate people are educating themselves so you know and and still there's all this legal discrimination um, that happens with LGBT and polyamorous people. Like you can have your kids taken away, you can lose your job, mm-hmm. all the, um, and the stigmatization has a huge impact in sexual dysfunction and mental health. Um, so just being more um, aware and socially responsible people. Um, so that when when we come into situations, we can we can respond in compassionate and empathetic ways. Yeah, and that editor, she probably also had her own internalized shame about sexuality to deal with as well. She just dismissed it like, oh, that was just a joke. But I'm sure there was something deeper for her going on too. Yeah, I never responded to her because I just. Um, I, I, I didn't feel like she was ready to hear anything. So that's another Mm -hmm. thing is that we just can only, we can only get through to somebody if they're open to hearing about it. And then it's time to let go and release our attachment to the outcome 
and just do the work. Um, mm-hmm. so, be the change we want, we wish to see in the world, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love that. So hopefully most of the people listening to this show are open to, um, you know, looking at their shadow and recognizing their own internalized and unconscious sex negative messages and, and shame. So what do you recommend for people who do want to change that? Um, what kind of things can they do and how can they look at what might be going on that they're not aware of? Um, they can find um, teachers that are sex positive and um, work with them. They can read books. I, they can listen to your show. They can, there's so many, there's so many different things people can do. It's a huge question. We all have our areas of interest. Um, just even feeling into our bodies and noticing where am I holding tension or when I feel shame, where is that in my body? Um, when I'm sexual with someone, how is that being expressed? And um, there's just a world of wondrous things to learn and experiment with in this world. And I'm actually having um, a consensual yoga workshop in October, October 13th, 2018 in Oakland. And that's one way Mm -hmm. you can meet some people who are in the yoga community, who are interested in the conversation, who are wanting to work with consent and sex positivity and touch So going to workshops and events where you can meet people who are more are have been investing in their own education and their own awareness is a really good thing to create community around and and um, or going to um, a sex coach or a life coach or Morehouse classes uh, that's things I've done that I've really enjoyed and I've found a huge amount of value in. And I also just want to say I have a special offer for your, um, your listeners with that well, consensual let's partner let's yoga workshop. Let's wait about five more minutes before you, um, before you explain that. Um, I have just a couple more questions I want to ask you. Um, sure. If there are any healers, yoga teachers, or any other kind of healer um, listening to this, what are some of the things that they can do to help create a more sex-positive environment that's appropriate? Right. Well, besides starting with themselves, which we talked about, um, right. and including the groin and genitals in a, anatomy conversations in class, mm-hmm. Um, there could also be, there's, um, energetic practices that also can come into yoga classes where we explore the, um, second chakra and the pelvic floor and the anatomy in that region. Um, so also I just think if somebody comes in who is, Suspect, you suspect to be from some group like um, an LGBTQ person or somebody polyamorous or somebody who's 
obviously expressing their sexuality in a visible way. Um, mm-hmm. Noticing what your reaction is or your re- and choosing to be, be caught, be um, more um, intentional with your, with your response. Because it can just be the smallest little things like, oh, I feel like I don't want to put my attention on them or go over to them and assist them. Or maybe I feel attracted to them, so I want to spend a bunch of time over there helping them and and putting lots of attention on them. And so um, living in a more balanced um, way and practicing the middle path, um, that's something yoga, yoga teachers can do. And also tr- educating ourselves about sexual um, shame, trauma, knowing that it really affects people. And we're having people come into our classrooms every day who have um, some form of shame or uh, sexual trauma in their body that it's common. So. Mm-hmm. That can lead to impotence, lack of sex drive. Um, that can lead to bulimia, anorexia, especially in women, obesity. Or for men, it might look like depression and addiction. And all these can be signs or symptoms of that underlying um, sexual sex negativity that's in our culture. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so... And that can affect not only the people, but also their families, congregations, extended communities, right? So, mm-hmm. and it's even comes, even if you just have this ideal that you, you know, that you're falling short of somehow being the perfect lover, even if you're not falling into these other uh, categories, many of us judge ourselves very harshly for that and then we shame ourselves and we blame ourselves. And so we come into the classroom and come to healers with all of this going on. And our job is to create a safe place where that can be felt and expressed and emotions are welcome. So I often have people check in with their emotional state when we first get together and just welcome all the parts of themselves to the room and not leaving anything out, um, yeah, because this, mm-hmm. yeah, this can really impact society. We have a lot of people who have, you know, rates of suicide or suicide are higher in the LGBTQ community, especially among y- younger people. Mm-hmm. Lots more anxiety and mood and substance disorders um, happen. So, being aware that our students are all coming to the to us with this and being sensitive and informed and able to respond in ways that are appropriate. Cool. And I just want to put a little plug in for our friend, Ariel Giaretto, who I interviewed a few months ago on my show. You can find that episode in my past episodes. And she teaches teachers, uh, sex positive teachers, how to um, work with their students or their clients who have sexual trauma. So, um, oh, fascinating. She's a great, great, great resource. Yeah. Okay. So we are about out of time. So this is where I do want you to talk about um, any kind of offer that you have for our listeners and where they can reach you after this. 
And um, also, just while you're talking about that, um, just in general, tell us how you've brought all of this into your teachings and how you've integrated all of these experiences that you've been through, how you've integrated that into what you teach. Well, thank you for giving me this platform and giving your audience an opportunity to learn more. Um, I have but the consensual yoga. Um, here's another thing I do that um, all yoga teachers can do and other um, other healers as well is I ask my students verbally before touching them if that's okay and mm-hmm. to assist them in any way to make adjustments or give any kind of massage or healing touch. And one great thing that's becoming popular right now are consent cards. And they're just a simple, powerful tool for students to indicate whether they want touch or not. So one side of this card says no, no touch wanted or something like that. And one card side could be a yes, assist, or welcome. And so they, you hand them out to the students at the beginning of class, and they pick, place them on their mat before class starts. And just let, letting them know they can change their boundaries at any time. They can flip it yes, they can flip it no any time, and that just gives them lots of space to have their boundaries. Because what happens when we become more aware and um, empowered is we get to express our boundaries, which is really healthy um, to and prevents a lot of harm that can be done otherwise. So mm-hmm. um, we'll be using those cards um, in, in many of my classes and talking about that in the consensual partner yoga workshop. And I'm also going to offer your listeners um, a deal, which is that they can receive $10 off of the workshop. So $55 for a person, or if you bring another person it could be $100 for two people, anytime, regardless of early bird prices, anything like that. And that, um, that's because I really respect what you're doing and I want to support your audience and what you're doing and um, give them opportunities to try out some of these ideas we've talked about. Fabulous. Okay, we are out of time. Thank you so much, Sierra. Your wisdom is so appreciated, and I really appreciate the work you're doing in the world. Keep it up. All right. I appreciate you, too. Okay, we'll talk to you later. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, we will be speaking with Tori King, also known as Victoria King, who is a sex and relationship therapist and coach. And she is just such a bright light. I'm sure you'll enjoy her very much. So please tune in next week at 6 p.m. Pacific time for Leading Edge Love Radio. This has been your host, Sumati Sparks, the open relationship coach at sumatisparks.com. Good night, everyone.